Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we ask that you would fill us once more with your Holy Spirit as we come to you and sit under your word and learn from you today. Thank you that you are a present God, that you are with us. We ask that you would make us holy by your truth. For this your word is truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the thing is, even for Christian men and Christian women, it's really difficult to admit fault. Maybe that surprises you. Can we agree on that though? Husbands, wives, kids, friends, everybody. Is it difficult for us as people to admit fault? Yep. Amen. Even when we know we should apologise, it takes this huge effort and this raging internal battle, or it does for me anyway, to go to another person, even as a Christian, and say, I was wrong. I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? It doesn't come naturally and so we resist it. You could even make the case that we've been taught not to do it, which is a great excuse to avoid apologising all the more. How often do we as people naturally just avoid admitting fault these days lest we end up in court? You know, there's a threat of a lawsuit, so, you know, we can't. We can't actually admit fault. That's what happens in motor vehicle accidents, isn't it? We're instructed by our insurance companies not to admit fault. Just pass on your details and let the insurance company work it out for you. What I have found, a tad easier, is apologising using some, uh, what should we say, qualifying words. Let me give you an example. If I offended you, which probably means you're being way too sensitive, then I'm sorry. How does that work out at home? No? Or, I'm sorry that I snapped at you but you provoked me with that nagging stare. Does that work? Yeah? Wow. doesn't work at my house. Anyway, isn't it usually someone else's fault when we're upset? Or should I just say amen and sit down now? The point is that the battles that go on and rage around us, like we've just been talking about, often reflect the battle that is raging within or inside of us, which begs the question, what on earth is going on inside each one of us? How do we find ourselves even experiencing these internal battles or inner conflicts that Paul talks about in Romans 7? What happens to us as Christians? Paul says in uh, verse 18, I know that nothing good lives in me. That's countercultural. That is in my sinful nature or flesh. For I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. And I hear Paul here struggling with the fact that he knows full well that he's renewed and cleansed through his faith in Jesus Christ and his cross. He's a Christian, there's no doubt. But here he is taking stock of his life and finding that he's struggling. He's really struggling to live according to his calling and doing things that he knows aren't in alignment with God's revealed will for his life. He loves God and he knows God loves him back. And so here he is throwing his arms up in the air and saying, what a wretched man that I am. I just can't get traction in my life as a Christian. I'm spinning my wheels. I don't know about you, but I just, I admire Paul's honesty. That's fantastic. Do you find yourself in a similar situation to Paul sometimes? All the time? 
Do you get frustrated when you find yourself thinking and saying and doing things you know are destructive to your journey as a Christian? You want to live in the will of God. You know it's a good thing. You love his word but you struggle to get that traction and you feel like you're just spinning your wheels. And so we find ourselves crying out things like, why did I lie instead of being completely honest? Why aren't I respecting my body? Why did I look at that web page or send that text message? Today, why am I not teachable? Why can't I learn from somebody else? Why am I unwilling to come under any kind of authority? Why do I have to have my own way all the time? Why can't I meet someone halfway? Why did I open my mouth and say things that I had no right to say about that person or to that person? Why can't I get past these thoughts that are leading me deeper and deeper into unhelpful patterns of behaviour? Have a think about that. Your own thought life, your interactions with other people, the situations and patterns that you struggle with most often. They're going to be different for each of us but there'll be some common threads. When do you, like Paul, throw your arms up into the air or let out a deep sigh? When does your Christian journey leave you struggling like Paul and feeling discouraged and disappointed, despondent about your walk with God? We can all find a measure of comfort but it's it's not real comfort. There's no such thing as a perfect Christian or a super-Christian, or super-spiritual people. And I think that does give us a, a, a measure of comfort. There have been preachers throughout the generations who have got up and said, I, I've been without sin for three years. Three years I haven't sinned. Wow, that's not me. I prefer to listen to another apostle named John who writes, If we claim we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Even St Paul struggled in his baptismal journey the same way you do and the same way I do. We're in this together. And that's because there's, all, there's a common issue that we've all inherited and this is not comforting news, friends. It's called original sin. But what does this mean? What does, it, does it just mean that we do bad stuff sometimes? Are we evil people? Did God create us this way, evil people? What's going on? No, I see some head shaking and that's good. Original sin is actually the name given to the deep corruption that's been passed down our family line from our first parents, Adam and Eve, all the way to you and me. But it's a corruption that is so deep that we're not even equipped to say where it begins or where it ends. It is not God's handiwork. It's Satan's continuing work of corruption that's been passed on from generation to generation from parent to child, from the third chapter of Genesis through to all of us. And that means you are not an evil creation. It means other people are not created for evil and they are not evil in and of themselves. They're not created evil. They're not created for evil. It means that we're all created in the image of God and to live in community together but have this foreign intruder often known and named in the Bible as the old Adam. You heard of that? The old Adam at work in us. 
And this old Adam or deep corruption, we're all stuck with it and it does not like us very much at all and creates all kinds of havoc. And so for Christians, that results in this internal battle within that Paul and every Christian throughout human history has struggled with. And we're engaged in it every day. You're in fact engaged in it today. And the new you, the renewed and reborn you through baptism and faith in Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit is constantly at war, struggling against this deep corruption that still clings to us this side of heaven. And it's not a simple or easy matter and we shouldn't treat it like that because it causes us and it causes those around us deep hardship and pain. It's tough and it makes it important for us to understand what's happening and what the root cause is. Now specifically men, men here today, what do we like to do once a problem's been identified and we know what it is? Kick it, fix it. We're fixers. We go to the shed, we grab our toolbox, we have a think about how we might fix that problem up. Men are fixers and we can't help it and that's okay. So are women. You know that? Women are fixers too. They just do it differently. Women talk things out where men like to use tools. Here's the issue. There is no spanner, no uh, quantity of boxes of tissues or talking or listening that can actually fix this original sin problem in us. We can rejoice with St Paul today though. And here's, a, here's some comfort. So we cry out to God in unison with him saying, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because God knows, friends, that daily struggles require daily help and daily healing. And as we come to God bruised and battered by the struggles we all get entangled in, he continues to dispense the spiritual medicine we need in order to keep walking on our journey of faith. Listen to Jesus' word to you again this morning. He invites you saying, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This invitation from Jesus to you and to me today is a standing invitation It doesn't matter whether we're frustrated by the conflict of striving to live as Christians or whether we're dealing with guilt or shame or whether we're dealing with disappointment or anger or hurts. Jesus invites us to come to him, to a person, to Jesus Christ and find rest for our souls with him. And this isn't just any comfy armchair or mattress kind of rest but real rest for our souls that meets our deepest needs and transforms our whole approach to life. The continual fight against the pull of original sin or if you want, against the continual pull of old Adam living in us requires the continual assurance from Jesus that our sins are forgiven because the power of Jesus' word of forgiveness spoken into our lives is that much greater than the power of old Adam at work in our lives. The cross of Jesus and his mighty resurrection show us exactly that ultimately 
Sin and death have already been defeated by this mighty act of God. And Jesus continues to invite you to come to him and he continues to speak his words of cleansing and of strength and of renewing into your life. He continues to point you to his cross again and again because that's the way God has dealt with sin and old Adam once and for all. And although Jesus died once on the cross, the power of what he did continues to ripple through generation after generation of God's people to you and to all of us gathered here today. The rippling power of the cross is at work freeing you today from sin's power. It's at work binding the corruption of the old Adam deep within you today. And today it's at work pointing you to live and walk once again in the freedom and the love and the forgiveness of God. God does it this way because in his perfect wisdom he knows exactly what we need. It's not more accountability partners. It's not more self-help books or chicken soup for the soul. It's not more worldly wisdom. These things don't, they they might help but to free us from the sin and pain that we really go through and sin's power at work in our lives, we need Jesus. We need the power of the cross. We need the continued assurance and application of the cross's power that brings relief and rest from the battle raging within us and the battles that rage outside of us as a result of that. And that's why we keep remembering what it is that God does in baptism. That's why uh, we keep remembering what God brings to the table when we receive him in Holy Communion, like you will in just a few minutes' time. Only God can free us from the burdens and the accusations of sin and the devil and God does that for you and for me and he invites us to keep coming to him and finding real rest and real peace that transforms both our lives and our perspective of the world and the people around us who live in it. I want to close today by reading you a bit of practical advice on dealing with the challenges we've looked at today. It's from Timeless Bible Truths. You might not be able to read the text. That's okay. I've got it here. This is actually Timeless Bible Truths. This is what the uh, confirmation kids in Head to the Heart are using at the moment. And on page 22, it says this. This is the official teaching of our church that comes down to us from generation after generation. People who have been trying to drown the old Adam says, what does baptism mean for everyday living? Because we've been baptised, we should keep on drowning the old nature we were born with. Everything selfish and sinful in us has to die. Love that picture. I love that picture of old Adam with that, tied to the anchor down around with the fish. It's a good thing. This happens when day after day we're sorry for the wrong things that we've done and ask God to forgive us. And then the new nature God has given us in baptism should come to life day after day. We should live as new people who do what's right and good and live with God forever. And then that other picture, the girl bursting out of the waters, they're baptismal waters. That's what happens every day. We drown that old Adam every day and every day we burst forth in the power of Jesus' resurrection, the power of the victory over sin and over that old Adam. You can get these if you want. They're fantastic. That's what God does. And this is our response 
to the good news of what God has done for each of us at the font. In your baptism, God hasn't only claimed you as his own, he's also given you the tools you need to continually drown that old Adam, hold him underwater and begin each new day in the victory of the cross. That glorifies God and it satisfies our every need. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's pray. Lord, your word affirms the reality that we live in every day, that there's a battle raging within each one of us. Please continue your work in us, that we would know and live in the victory that you've won for us on the cross. Show us and apply to us your victory over sin again today. Come and fill us again as we come in a few moments and gather around your table. May you be glorified as all our deepest needs and burdens are satisfied in you today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Peace of God which surpasses all human understanding. Keep our hearts and our minds safe in Christ Jesus and his victory. Amen.